Uh, well, good morning. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here and part of our teaching team. And before we dive into this text, I want to make sure you know about something that is really pretty cool that we've been actually praying about and waiting for for years, which we're actually going to get to celebrate next Sunday. And that is the groundbreaking on our new property next door. So, yeah. Yeah, it's very cool. So we have... Uh, we have prayed, we have planned, many of you have given lots and lots of sacrificial, generous dollars to be able to purchase the 10 and a half acres next door, and we're going to have a groundbreaking celebration, a groundbreaking party next Sunday at 3.30 p.m. So if you want to even come to that and then join us for the 5 o'clock service, or if you're here in the morning and you want to come back uh, for that, we would love for you to do it. It'll be kind of a chance to, um, to pray around the land and uh, just to celebrate what God is doing in this. Now, we're not actually technically construction stuff isn't going to be happening for another you know, number of weeks, but we wanted to get this celebration going. So that's going to be next Sunday at uh, 3.30 p.m. Would love to have you join us and have you be part of that. So um, we're going to dive in now to Ephesians. This is week seven of almost 40 weeks of Ephesians. We're just getting started, baby. And the question I want to start out with this morning is, do you think people can change. Can people change? You know, a lot of people find out when they get married, you know, wives marry husbands hoping they'll change. And husbands marry wives hoping they'll never change. And both are disappointed. <laughs> right? Like I know in my marriage, there are things that Molly really wishes would change that she found out pretty early on, like, wow, is this like how it is. Like, for example, I, I do this thing that drives her crazy. I chew my yogurt. <laughs> and other soft stuff like ice cream, pudding, soup. I don't know. I, I chew it. And she's always just looks at me like, what's wrong with you? Why are you chewing your soup. And 16 years later, I'm still, I still chew my yogurt. I mean, it's not changing. I, I, I'm one of those people, you, you, I hate to admit this, you'll hate me, but uh, I'm the kind of person on the freeway when there's a big long line of people waiting to exit, <laughs> I go past all you morons <laughs> and I cut over. And Molly just like for 16 years has just hidden her face like, why do you do that? Why, do you, why are you that person? Right? And it hasn't changed. I pick stuff. I like to pick my fingernails and my toes and my nose, and I'm a, I'm a picker. And it hasn't changed, right? And so there's this, like, can, can we really change? Does it get easier to change, or does it get harder? Like, is change the kind of thing that, you know, you calcify at some point, and you just aren't going to change anymore? Or is change something that's more like a snowball rolling downhill that just you, you can actually develop more capacity to change? Here's an interesting question. Is there an age at which it becomes harder to change? Well, a lot of psychologists have studied this. William James, one of the principal psychologists really in America, said this, in most of us, by the age of 30, the character has set like plaster and will never soften again. <laughs> by 30! Did you hear that? 30. Right, you're 30, you think, oh, I'm young. No, you're stuck. That's what he's saying. 
And uh, Paul Costa, who's a, pro- a professor and psychologist at John, Johns Hopkins, says this, we see that the very big changes you see from early adolescence to early adulthood are greatly muted after 30, 35. It's not that personality is fixed and can't change, but it's relatively stable and consistent. What you see at 35, 40 is what you're going to see at 85, 90. Oh. Now, that might be wonderfully encouraging or horribly discouraging. I don't know what that is. And obviously, psychologists would disagree about that. Not everybody would agree with those folks. And they're talking a lot about personality traits and kind of these five main person, you know. And, and so, it, you know, this is debatable, but, but can we change? Well, the scriptures declare emphatically, yes, we can. We can change, and today what we're going to see in this particular passage is how that happens. We're going to see how it is in the Christian life in particular that we are able to change. This is the last week where, we've been, where we're going through this glorious house of the gospel. We said about seven or eight, or six or seven weeks ago that what we're doing in this opening section, verses 3 to 14, is Paul is describing the glorious gospel. And it's like this big, beautiful house that you find online, and your realtor takes you over there, and you go, wow, this is an even better house. It meets more of my needs. It's more within my budget. It's absolutely spectacular. It's better than I could have imagined. And as you go through the house, you go room by room by room. And each room gets better than the last room. And what we've been doing is just sort of exploring all these different aspects of the gospel. We saw this in verse 4, that we have been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him. That before we even existed, before the world even existed, God has set his love on us. He said, I'm going to make you holy and blameless. Yeah, I know you're a sinful rebel, but I'm going to change all that and put my love on you. It says in verse 5, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. That we're not just saved in the courtroom of heaven, but we're adopted in the adoption court of heaven. That the gospel changes the courtroom of heaven from a legal thing to an adoption thing. We see in verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, redemption is deliverance, it's rescue, it's freedom. We aren't, we're stuck in sin and we're redeemed out of it. We're delivered out of it. How does that happen? Well, it says in verse 7, through his blood. Through the blood of the ultimate Passover lamb, Jesus, we have freedom, we have redemption. This is according to the riches of his grace, as it says in verse 8, which he lavished on us. I just don't you love that word, lavished? This is what we're seeing just week after week is God's lavishing, incredible grace. This grace is all part of his plan, it says in verse 10, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. We saw that in the beginning, heaven and earth were one. And sin broke that apart. And God is in Christ in the process of bringing all things back together. This means we have an inheritance, it says in verse 11. What is that inheritance? Well, Josh told us last week, it's God's blessing and guiding presence here on earth forever, that God is with us here now, and he hears us now, and he will forever. So those are all these different rooms we've been in. Today we get into the last room, and this last room is that we in Christ are sealed with the Holy Spirit, sealed with the Holy Spirit. Look at what it says in verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise 
of his glory. We are sealed with the Spirit. That's what we're looking at today. So we're going to ask three questions as we look at this. We're going to ask what that means that we're sealed by the Spirit. We're going to ask who is sealed with the Spirit. How, how do you get in on this? And then mostly we're going to land on how, what difference does it make? So if you're sealed with the Spirit, so what? What, what change might that result in? So that's where we're going to go. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for this promise in verse 13 that in Christ we are sealed with your promised Holy Spirit. God, I pray that we would have a deeper understanding of what that means and why that's significant. God, I pray that it would empower us with confidence that you really are changing us. God, confidence that you who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion. God, confidence that we could be those who are working out our salvation with fear and trembling for it's you who's at work within us. God, we pray that you would give us that confidence and that change and that hope today. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So first question is, what does it mean to be sealed with the Spirit? You see that again in verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Well, a seal, right? We're familiar with the idea of sealing. We seal cereal packages. We seal other bottles and other things get sealed. But the seal in particular that's being talked about here is a seal that would go on documents in particular that would be a clay, kind of a a piece of soft clay that would then be... um, embossed with a particular image that was hard to reproduce, and it was a seal that would, uh, you know, you you kind of imagine, maybe you think of wax, right, a wax sort of seal. It'd be that same kind of thing, only clay. So here's an example of one uh, from the ancient world. Some people think this is uh, the seal of uh, one of the scribes who helped kind of preserve Jeremiah, that this was his seal. So you see, this would be a little bit challenging to just reproduce exactly. And so a scroll might get wrapped up, and this clay would go on it, and this seal would happen. So, so that's the, the kind of seal that we're talking about. What, what does that mean? What does it mean to be sealed with the Holy Spirit? Well, there's three different kinds of ways to understand this, three different images that this whole notion provides. The first is protection. Protection. You think about a document, right? This would protect the document from unrolling. This would protect, protect the document from being opened by the wrong people. This would have a level of protection on it, right? We think about this. You, you, I, just the other day, I was at the grocery store to get a box of cereal, and the seal at the top was broken. So I said, I'll get a different box. <laughs> because that, that one, you know, it, it helps you see, oh, this has been tampered with, right? And you don't want something that's been tampered with. What this means is that we're protected as the people of God, that in Christ, the Spirit of God is protecting us. He's preserving us. He's holding on to us. This is such good news, isn't it? Because aren't there times when you feel like, I don't think I'm holding on to God very well. I sure hope he's holding on to me. <laughs> If you're sealed with the Spirit, He's protecting you. He's holding on to you. He is keeping you. He is grasping you. Second thing this means is authentication. 
As we saw in that, it's a hard-to-reproduce kind of image or, or thing, and so this is, this is a kind of ID. This would help someone say, okay, this is actually from the person who sent it, right? This isn't a forgery. This isn't a mistake. This is authentic, right? When I go to the movie theater and I hand them my ID or I hand them my credit card, they say, can I see some ID? And I appreciate that most of the time, unless I'm in a big hurry. But I usually appreciate that because they're going, okay, they don't want my credit card just to be used by whoever. They're authenticating it. Well, here's what this means. You, if you're sealed with the Spirit, the Spirit, as Paul will say in Romans 8 and elsewhere in the Scriptures, the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. There is this comfort, there is this assurance that comes by being sealed by the Spirit, that the Spirit himself helps you go, okay, Lord, I do know that you love me. We're authenticated. The third thing the Spirit's sealing does is it describes possession. It's a... It's a it's an ownership type thing. Sometimes this same brand that would be used on a clay type image would also be used to um, like be seared into something. It'd be a, like you think about a cowboy branding a, a cow, branding an animal, same kind of thing. It marks possession. Right, I have a, one of the greatest gifts Molly ever got me, I just love this gift, is this book embosser that I got. And so every book that I get I get this embosser, I got a picture of it, and I just, (laughs) library of Luke D. Simmons, (laughs) mine, right? And I always show it to people when I hand it, when people borrow a book, I go, oh yeah, you can borrow a book, but hey, just so you know, it's mine, you better give it back. Right? And and this this is saying, this is mine. So think about this image as it relates to the Holy Spirit. God is not just protecting us. God is not just authenticating us. He is claiming us. He's saying, you're mine. We're together. I'm for you. This inheritance that we have, you're going to actually see in the next couple weeks that this inheritance that we have is also the inheritance that God has, that God gets us. That's how God views it. This is an amazing thing. God is claiming us. God is marking us. God is sealing us. By his spirit. That's what it means to be sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now the question becomes, who then is sealed with the Spirit? Is everybody sealed with the Spirit? Does everybody have this mark of ownership on them? Well, get this. Everybody is made in the image of God, but only some have the seal of the Spirit. Who are the people that have the seal of the Spirit? Well, look at what it says in verse 13. First, it's those who hear the word of truth. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The gospel, interestingly here, is described as a word of truth. Now, here's why that's important. We live in a, we live in a culture where what we want to do is say, well, there's facts and there's beliefs. Right? There's, there's facts and there's opinions. There's, there's facts and there's beliefs. And what happens is the culture at large, and even Christians, we fall into this, we want to kind of, or what people want to do is they want to say, well, your religious stuff, that falls in the beliefs category, not the facts category. Right? There's facts that everybody can agree on, but there's, you have beliefs and, and religion's a separate thing. Here's what, here's what the scripture says. Scripture says the gospel is not in the beliefs category, like, oh, that's true for you, or it's not true for you, or if it works for you, great, if it doesn't, great. No, no, no. This is described as the word of truth. 
It's a fact. It's a truth. It's a claim. It's big. So those who are sealed with the Holy Spirit have heard this word, and not just heard it kind of with their ears, but they've heard it with their hearts. That's what Jesus often said. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the listeners would go, well, what do you mean? Who has ears? Doesn't everyone have ears? Yeah, but everyone has ears, but not everyone has ears. So these are people who hear the word of truth and believe in him. Do you see how it says that? When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. You can hear the word of truth. Many people hear the word of truth. Some of you have heard the word of truth for years. Hearing it doesn't make you a Christian. This is one of the unique aspects of biblical Christianity is that you're not a Christian just by birth. You're not a Christian just by proximity. You are a Christian to the degree that you hear these things and personally believe in him. That word believe is the idea of, of trust. It's not a cognitive thing. It's a heart thing. It's trusting in Jesus. It's moving from Jesus as a concept Oh, yeah, I guess that's true to trust. I believe in him. And in fact, I think verse 12, which we looked at last week, provides us a really good image of what it is to believe in Christ. If you ever wonder, what is it to believe in Christ? Well, look at verse 12. There Paul describes believing in Christ as hoping in Christ. He says, uh, We've obtained an inheritance. We're predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ, well, hoping in Christ and believing in Christ, that's the same thing. So belief is not just about what do you think is true. Oh, yeah, I guess I'll sign off that it's true. It's not just a belief. But it's saying, do you then embrace it? Do you hope in it? Let me ask you, where's your hope? Where do you find yourself hoping? If blank, then I'd be happy, fulfilled, secure, satisfied. What? What's in the blank? If I could just find Mr. Right. If I could just have my kids not hit each other all day. If I could just have grandkids. If I could just get to the point where, you know, I wouldn't have to work as much and I could slow down. If I just made this much money. If I just, what, what? So whatever that is, and often the way to find this is what you're daydreaming about. That often is your actual functional trust, your functional savior. It's what you're really hoping in. You go, yeah, 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 I hope in Jesus, but I, I really hope in a secure future. I really hope in this kind of societal change, whatever it is. The scripture describes believing in him as hoping in Christ. So you are sealed with the Spirit. If you hear the word of truth and you recognize it as the word of truth and you don't just hear it with your ears, but you hear it with your heart and you believe in him and you trust him. This is important to say is all of these promises that we've been looking at. You've been chosen. You've been predestined for adoption. You've been redeemed. You've been part of this work that God's been doing since Israel and throughout history. That is available for those who believe in him. 
These are not universal promises. These are not things that just go out to everybody all the time, no matter what. No, they are for those who hear the word of truth, the gospel, the good news about Jesus, life and death and resurrection. They believe in him. They trust him. They hope in him. That's who's sealed with the Spirit. The last question is this. What difference does that make? Like, so what? Okay. So I... uh, Seal of the Spirit, do I believe in him? What difference should that make? Well, let's look first to answer that question at this word. It's in verse 14. It says, in him you, uh, let's go back to, to verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, if you have an ESV print Bible, especially, you should be able to see this, is there's a little footnote uh, next to the word guarantee. And if you look down at that, what you see is that it says, or down payment. So this word guarantee could be translated down payment, which is really kind of one of the old ways of using the word guarantee. If you you provided a guarantee for something, you were giving a first installment. You were paying a down payment. Now we use the word guarantee like, you'll love your suit. I guarantee it, right? Like It's like a promise, and Tommy Boy tells you what you can do with a promise, right? (laughs) You know that movie. And so the guarantee, as a, it's not, get this, this is not just... God saying, I promise to give you the Spirit. This is that God has given you a down payment. The first installment of the age to come, all things united in Christ, that has come in the Spirit. So get this, the Spirit coming into our lives as we believe, making us alive in Christ, filling us, as it will say elsewhere in the Scriptures. The Spirit doing that is not just so that we might personally experience protection and authentication and possession. It is that. But it is also this guarantee, this down payment, this first installment of the kingdom of God to come. It's a preview of heaven and earth being united. This is why Josh was absolutely right last week when he said, what is the inheritance? And I wrote it down. He said the inheritance talked about here, right, the Paul says, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, the down payment of our inheritance? What's the inheritance? God's blessing and guiding presence here on earth forever. I love the illustration that Josh used last week. If you were here, you remember. If you don't, this is great. He talked about how you know, his dad, who runs this multi-hundred dollar corporation in the West Valley, um, has, you know, he, he said, based on my life and a lot of other things, Josh was saying, I don't really look forward to some inheritance. Like I don't think about an inheritance from my dad. He said, I think part of the reason is because it's not like I have to look forward to an inheritance because I have the inheritance now because my dad is there for me now. Talked about how his dad has stepped in all these different times to help and to encourage and to support him and to be with him, right? And so we get a real taste of the spirit now that is a real taste of the kingdom. So what difference does this make? Well, The Spirit makes us confident, first of all. The Spirit makes us confident. If we're sealed, we're protected, we're authenticated, we're we're claimed, we're possessed by God. So there's a confidence here. 
Right? We don't have to wander around going, gosh, I don't know if God loves me. I don't know if God's for me. I don't know if God's on my side. No, no, no. There's a confidence that comes through the Spirit. And this is confidence that God is changing us. Why? Why is it confidence that God is changing us? Well, think about this. I, I, I keep going back and forth between using the name the Spirit and using the name the Holy Spirit. It's interchangeable. But get this, this is the Holy Spirit. What, is the whole, what does that mean? That means he is set apart. And that means the work that he does in us is to make us holy, to make us set apart, to make us more like Jesus, to make us more obedient, to make us more full of faith, to make us more humble and courageous and bold and generous. That's the work of the Spirit is to change us. That get this. If you are in Christ because you've heard the word of truth and believed in Christ, then your life is now beginning to transform to look more like it would look in the kingdom of God. Why? Because the Spirit has come as a down payment, as a guarantee. Now, here's what I find. I find that a lot of people, when they think about the work of the Spirit, because of a lot of different experiences, particularly in kind of Pentecostal, charismatic-type traditions, which there's a lot of really good things in those traditions, but one of, the, one of the downsides is, is it makes a lot of us think that if we haven't had these big ecstatic experiences, well, the Spirit's not really at work here. Is that true? Well, here's the thing. There's, there's nothing in this whole section about ecstatic experiences. No, here's what it's saying is God's future is heaven and earth united, and we get the first installment of that with the Spirit, which means our lives begin to resemble what they will look like in heaven, what they will look like in the new earth. I don't know about you, but, but there's two things that I long for about the new creation. The first one is getting to really, really be close to God. I feel like there's these moments when heaven meets earth in my relationship with God, but to have that all the time, to know God like I'm known by God, wow, like I look forward to that. The second one is this, to not be a sinner anymore. I get so angry. I get impatient, I get defensive, I get frustrated at the people I love, I get entitled and ungrateful. Can't you wait? I mean, won't it be amazing for that to go away? Like to actually just have a life of love, a life of peace, a life of kindness. A life of gener I mean, doesn't that sound awesome? <laughs> That's the life of the kingdom to come, right? This is why Jesus says, Father, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Well, here's the good news of Ephesians 1, is that in Christ, that has happened. The Spirit has come as a down payment, not so that I can have some amazing experience of worship and some ecstatic moment with the Spirit, as wonderful as that might be but so that my life might change 
So let me ask you, are you underselling the work of the Spirit in your life? Are you undervaluing it? Do you you have eyes to see how God is actually at work in you? Here's what I find. I find you get together with Christians and you say, hey, what are some areas you're struggling? And people are like fighting to, like, we can talk about that all day. You get together with a group of Christians, you go, hey, what's, what's some evidence of God's work in your life? And either that means that there is none, and if that's the case, then you need to really ask, have I, have I really believed in him? But, but often it's a kind of false humility. And you know what it does when we, when we won't answer that question? It actually robs the spirit of some of his glory. He's saying, you're my trophy. You're my sealed possession. I want you to shine to the world, right? That's what it says at the end of this. He's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So when we recognize that our lives really are changing, not because of us, but because of him, that gives him glory. So let me ask you, are you more patient with setbacks than you used to be? Are you more kind toward that difficult person in your life? than you used to be? Are you more able to forgive? Are you quicker to pray? Are you more generous with your money? You could go on and on and on. That's the work of the Spirit because the work of the Spirit is about love. It's not about personal selfish moments where I can pray some interesting way. It's about love. It's about sacrifice. It's about kindness and generosity. That's what it is to be a down payment of the kingdom of God. Tell you what, my driving hasn't changed. And I still chew my yogurt. But I am, by God's grace, more open when I'm criticized. Less defensive. More eager to listen to whatever kernel of truth might be being offered to me. Some of you are like, yes, that's great, because I have some things to say. That's fine. And you know, I look at that and go, that's, that's God's grace. That's God's work. The Spirit is alive in me. And however slow my progress is, and gosh, it feels slow, I am, by God's grace, changing. Why? Because I've been sealed with the Spirit. Here's what we are. You know what we are? We're pink spoons. You ever go to the ice cream shop and you can't decide what to get? It all just looks incredible. And you go, oh, man, I don't know. I, can't, I, I wish I could try this. Do you have samples? And they say, yeah, we've got samples. And you're like, yes. Right? And then you, they get out a little pink spoon. Right? And they give you a taste of the real thing. This is the real ice cream in there. Right? And they give you a taste of that. And you go, oh, that's good. Oh, I like that. I want more. You know what? That's what we get to be as the people of God. We are the pink, we're God's pink spoons. Where he is sealing us with his spirit. And he's using us to be a preview of the kingdom of God. To be a taste to the world. This is what it's like when heaven meets earth. And we don't do it perfectly. And sometimes we get dropped on the way to, you know, but, but that's who we are. We're pink spoons. 
We're the pink spoons of God. That's an incredible blessing, isn't it? Listen, this sealing of the Spirit is not just about you and God and warm fuzzies, as great as that is, but it's so that we would change, so that we would be new, so that we would be empowered no matter whether we're 35 or 85 to say, yes, we can change because God's Spirit is in me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the work that you do in changing our lives. God, we pray that as you seal us, by your spirit, you would be transforming us, transforming our character, transforming our desires, transforming our motivations, transforming our affections and the things we love so that we would more and more see things the way you see them and love the things that you love and love people the way you love them. And God, give us that heart. Give us your heart so that we might be able to offer to the world a real taste of the kingdom of God, of heaven meets earth. We pray for that in Christ's name, amen.